You're listening to a podcast hosted on the Podcaster Matrix. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition, episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. Ah, sleepy French towns. One can only wonder what magic they hold. The memories, the food, the people. What about being the centerpiece for the arrival of the beast? It's time to recount our visions of the darkest tale told to date during Friday the 13th series. It's a two-part devil-ridden epic broken into two episodes, just like this review will be. It's time for the Curious Goods Podcast. A retelling, a revisit, and a complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, the launch of Season 3. The Prophecies, Part 1. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. So much to get to, but first, some quick housekeeping. An interview with author Elise Wax. Nick and I had the pleasure of welcoming author Elise Wax, the author of Curious Goods, Behind the Scenes of Friday the 13th, the series that you can go check out right now over at our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Nick, what did you think of that interview? Awesome. Beyond awesome. The detail that Elise provided us gives us a lot of really great behind the scenes of behind the scenes of making this book, but also a really great career that is filled with a whole lot more than only... Friday the 13th, the series. I hope you go check it out and share it with your friends and all the people inside of your excellent fan groups for Friday the 13th, the series. Again, check it out at our website inside the show notes for this episode over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Our thanks to Elise Wax for waxing philosophic inside of our podcast. It was a ton of fun. The format of this and the next episode. So, Nick, this is going to be like a three-and-a-half-hour review, right? I don't know why it would be a three-and-a-half-hour review, Mike. It's only two episodes. I mean, I know we can talk, but <laughs> I, I don't think we would do do that much talking. Well, we're not going to be talking that much. In fact, these next two episodes that were in the show originally presented as one big old chubby episode. Yes. Well, we're going to be presenting it into two episodes. Right. We're so, acting like it's syndication because right. that's how... <laughs> If you didn't watch it the night that it aired, which incidentally was October 7th, 1989, it was presented as one big episode. Mm-hmm. Like almost a, it was a movie with with commercials in it. And then for syndication purposes, I'm assuming, of course, 
chopped in half. Hence why you would find it listed as part one and part two in any online database that you use. Well, we're using the DVD box set and the DVD box set presents it in its original format as one long episode. And I'm not doing that. Well, not only that, we're not going to have you, as much as I know that I'm incredibly entertaining during the retells of all of our episodes, I'm not that entertaining. <laughs> that would be a very long retell. And so Yeah, we don't want you to have to endure that retell. So we're splitting it up into two episodes. I also just think we're going to have more fun being able to dig into more detail because we are going to split it up into two episodes. But just FYI, if you're looking for the second part, you're not on the right episode yet. All right, Nick, that's all I got for housekeeping. It's time to stretch the legs, break out the Book of Lucifer, and dig into this episode, Friday the 13th, the series, Season 3's launch, the first of two parts. The Prophecies, Part 1. Flittering waterfalls, gallant statues, and a courtyard filled with vines, memories, and appropriate lighting. A church, and then a taxicab pulls forward. Its driver opens the back door, and hey, it's Jack Marshak! Man of taking a taxi action. The bell in the tower tolls. It's a strong and powerful tone from the bells. Jack thanks the man for his time in French, and then enters into what looks like the entryway of a local inn. He rings the service bell. You see, Jack is here to meet with Sister Adele. He's going to be doing some research on spiritual phenomena. Later that night, after checking in, as Jack sleeps, a mysterious, different tower bell tolls at 3.33 a.m. The lights of the inn in the small town come alive, and it's the chiming of the bell tower. Nuns inside the nunnery are having none of it. The story of a prophecy of three messengers is told by a quirky, long-nailed and long-fingered individual. He's reading a thick, ancient-looking book. His chants are preparing the path for the first of two great episodes. Back inside the nunnery, a nun snatches the cross from around her neck and begins making her way forward to throttle a fellow nun. She's looking to kill Sister Adele. A bunch of other nuns struggle to remove her from around the throat of Sister Adele as the lone father governing all the nuns, his name is Father DeCroix, appears and begins initiating an exorcism. The devil-smitten nun releases her stranglehold on Sister Adele and then falls to the floor. She's unsure of what she's done, but it doesn't matter. She dies. Back in the States, not in the States, but in Canada, inside the Curious Kids shop, Mickey's been shopping. Brown papered bags with vittles of all kinds. And then the door opens and closes behind her. As she checks back to see who's come in, she sees nothing. Hmm. What could be going on here? She suddenly turns to find a masked figure. Oh, hey, it's Johnny Ventura, who's conveniently looking for a new apartment. You see, Jackson, France, and Ryan, well, Ryan's down at the cemetery. It's time for the annual mourning of his kid brother that died 14 years ago. Snap pan to the grave of young Jimmy Dalian. Apparently, young Jimmy Dalian was chasing a ball that Ryan threw into the street and was then struck by a car, killed, 
in front of Ryan's eyes. Ryan continues to mourn graveside, but <gasps> what's this? Ryan's mother appears, which is amazing because, you see, Ryan thought that she was gone forever. She apologizes and knows that it was nobody's fault. You see, she's been having these strange dreams about losing Ryan forever, and she had to see him again. Time for a family chat! Meanwhile, over in France, Jack is marveling at the decor that almost looks Canadian, but that's not important right now. He enters a glorious church and is greeted by Father DeCroix. Father DeCroix tells Jack that Sister Adele is not seeing anyone right now, at least until after the festival that's coming up. Father, could you please tell me what was up with those goody bells at 3.33 a.m.? Father DeCroix states that there was a mechanism problem. Okay, you got it. Out goes Jack. Outside, Jack Marshak is addressed by an older lady who shares a tale. Three nuns have died recently trying to kill Sister Adele. Jack, you gotta save her. Later that evening, Jack is putting a period on the end of a bottle of scotch. Outside, Father DeCroix is taking Sister Adele somewhere. Hmm. Jack spies them both leaving. He follows close behind as they enter into another building. As the French subtitles begin, Sister Adele and Father DeCroix are having a Frenchy French argument about defeating his power. Hmm, who could the him in this equation be? Could it be Satan? Outside, again, at 3.33 a.m., the strange bells continue to toll. The long-fingernailed, long-fingered chanting man who's wearing a dark robe once again has initiated the chance of needed storytelling to prepare the audience for a dark arrival. Time for the return of the beast! Inside the building, Father DeCroix and Sister Adele are praying for their very lives. Suddenly, from out of nowhere, inside the sleepy French Frenchy town with the bells tolling, a wolf quickly approaches and springs down the block toward the door of the building that Father DeCroix and Sister Adele are in. It springs through the glass. The lone wolf, haha, begins to attack the father and is rescued, of course, by the plunging poker of one Jack Marshak. Man of stunt dog stabbing action. As the stabbed, fanged beast is dying, it utters the word. It's the passing of the second prophecy, and the long-fingered chanting individual wearing a dark robe closes the thick, dark book once more. It's daytime, children singing. Two new souls appear in town and enter the church during services, where songs of plenty are being sung. At the head of the choir is Father DeCroix, now with dog scratches on his face. In the back halls of the church, Jack is having a conversation about he. Yes, it's all about the devil. And his coming return. It seems that Sister Adele knows what's going on. There is a fallen angel named Astaroth who has one of three of Lucifer's Bibles. And he's using it to bring about the apocalypse, hell on earth. And he's determined to kill Sister Adele, for she is a light 
that stands in the way of the darkness. The darkness, yes, in this case represented by Astaroth, one of God's fallen angels. He's walked the earth for centuries, and now he's arrived to fulfill the prophecies. Back at the Curious Goods shop, Ryan and Mickey are preparing for a trip. Something about dealing with the Book of Lucifer in France, something, I don't know. Ryan's having second thoughts about the meeting he's got coming up with his mother. Hmm, what happens next? We don't know. Yet! Back in France, Jack is still getting the General Stonewall from Father DeCroix and the powers that be. Jack started asking the people in the small Frenchy town why they're leaving town in their cars with steering wheels on the left-hand side. That's not important right now. A number of towns hooked apart, and Jack happens upon a blind dude in the middle of the square who says, Lucifer is coming. Prepare his way. I saw his prophet. He took my eyes. Lucifer is coming. Inside the airport, Ryan and Mickey are going to France. Mumsy will stay behind. There's a young child being sung to by children. She sits inside a wheelchair. Her accompanying father thanks them for their efforts and for the ability to take this last trip. And hopefully, Chris, his daughter, will experience a miracle. Mickey and Ryan depart, leaving Ryan's newfound mother alone. They bump into the young lady in the wheelchair who shakes Mickey's hand and then shakes Ryan's hand and goes into some kind of seizure and says, Don't go, please, don't go. Well, that was weird and disconcerting, but yet Ryan still gets on the plane. It's night again in France with incredibly appropriate lighting. Jack and Sister Adele are heading down below because it's time to protect Sister Adele. They arrive inside the bricked-in cocoon. She shares that she's always believed in God's power, and that's why she's been given the powers that she has. I assure you, Sister Adele, there's hope. Are you sure there's nothing more you can tell me of the Book of Lucifer? May God be with you tonight, Jack Marshak, man of blessing action. Not the info dump that we were looking for here, but okay. Father DeCroix assures her that if she needs anything, all she need do is ring the bell. You know, the one that's attached to the rope here inside of the inside of the cell that she's in. Back inside the dimly lit lair of Astaroth, he who has long nails opens Lucifer's book once more and begins chanting. Inside Jack's hotel room across the sleepy French burg, Jack is also chanting. From the resource materials, also known as the Bible, that were brought over. And then, 3.33 a.m. arrives again. The Goonie Tower Bells initiate. Lightning and thunder and more. It's all very dark. It's all very creepy. It's all very scary. And it's all terribly appropriately lit. And the works of the holy were undone. And the works of the holy were undone. And the works of the holy were undone. Suddenly, across the sleepy French burg, you know, over inside the psych ward where there's nice, calm psych patients, they're now not so calm and freaking out all over the place. 
Down inside her protective cocoon, Sister Adele chants the praise in his name as Father DeCroix continues to be horrified by the scenes left by the continually crazed patients all over the place. Yes, well, this hospital's psych ward wing has now seen a poor nurse crucified with syringes. Needles. Yeah, syringe needles. Yeah, that's... <laughs> And, and an orderly just tossed right out the damn window. That's not very orderly. And it's all the commotion from the hospital that draws an audience, including Jack, who notices that all the crazy folk are kind of chanting Lucifer towards the abandoned building next door to the hospital. Isn't that convenient? Jack heads off to the sealed building right next door to everything else where everything else is going on. And it's apparently the one that's holding the man that's doing the chanting. The man's name, Astaroth. Jack enters boldly. Inside the abandoned building that's dark, but lit incredibly well, he finds a man. It's Astaroth, who wonders, Are you ready to praise Lucifer? Apparently not. The fallen angel here on Earth lays down the dark words and law into Jack and shows him some stock footage of horrific things and then tosses Jack down the stairs. The next day, Mickey and Ryan arrive in sleepy, Frenchy, small French town to find that Jack is in the hospital. He's on a ventilator, being tended to by the fair sister Adele. Astaroth is wakening our faith, and if he succeeds, then Lucifer will walk the earth. A bus filled with hopeful disciples arrives for the very special day of festival and ceremony in the name of the super cool healing ceremony that's being held inside the sleepy Frenchie town. They all wait casually in line, one by one, as Father DeCroix anoints them with the holy waters from the fountains we'd originally seen inside the start of this episode. One by one, they all wait for hope of miracles. As another hopeful disciple is blessed, Astaroth begins reading his own dark words. Mumble, mumble, something dark as shit, mumble, mumble. As he finishes his dark, mumbling incantation, a fierce wind erupts. Father DeCroix begins chanting louder, but it's time for the miracles of healing to become miracles of pain. And the water that Father DeCroix puts his hands into to bless people with begins to bubble with evil. Mickey and Ryan arrive and are horrified that all the visitors have now turned their attention to Astaroth, who has generated a new, darker altar where he assures them all that... Part of you will be Lucifer's deliverer, his disciple. And with that decree, Astaroth exits stage left. Ryan hauls ass down the sleepy streets of the sleepy, devil-ridden, Frenchy French town, chasing Astaroth. He doesn't find Astaroth, but he does find <gasps> the Book of Lucifer. He picks it up and screams for Mickey, but is instantly pelted by Astaroth. Ryan falls unconscious, and Astaroth begins a new chant, one that speaks of Lucifer's entrance into flesh and spirit into a disciple. Astaroth then carves the numbers six, six, six into Ryan's chest, and the bells toll for thee. Mickey, after an hour's time, spots Ryan and checks to see if he's all right. Ryan shrugs off his incredible experience and says, I just got knocked out for a moment. 
time to check in on Jack. Astaroth visits a creepy-ass mausoleum. He makes entry and finds an inner sanctum that only few have ever dreamed about and even fewer have ever seen. Inside, he prepares a platform for Lucifer's return to reign supreme. An evil cackling takes us to the next scene where we see the young girl, Chris, and her father are inside the church. Chris knows that something terrible is going to happen and asks for prayer. Inside Mickey and Lucifer, I mean Ryan's hotel room, Mickey is laying down the law on what's about to happen and wonders why Ryan isn't participating. He's only interested in seeing Sister Adele. Hmm, boy, that's strange. He leaves the room on a mission, a dark mission, and arrives focused, grunting, and ready to see Sister Adele at the nunnery. Astaroth continues his dark chant inspiration for Ryan's true purposes, and Ryan ventures forth. He storms inside the nunnery, wanting to see Sister Adele, and he demands that he talk to her in private. It's very important. Sister Adele calmly ushers him into a very secluded room where Ryan shares. You will die in Satan's hate. Deny your god or die says Astaroth remotely through Ryan's visage, who grabs and then begins to choke Sister Adele. <laughs> After murdering Sister Adele, Ryan sprints from the room, exclaiming, Canonize her! She's dying for her faith! Arriving to the room shortly thereafter, Father DeCroix and the sisters find a strangled, now dead Sister Adele. No cursed items recovered, no happy endings, only death, despair, and to be continued. Every episode of Friday the 13th has goods and bads. It's time to focus on the good. Location, location, location. What else can we say? It's yet another episode inside of this grand series that takes us on to location that is completely submersive. Very much so, yes. It, it, it allows us to escape. It allows us to have, mostly, every visage of what we need to see to foster along what's being told inside the story. And the, the story, the characters, and the gravitas of what's going on catapult it through really any, any bones of contention that you have with your needing to take a disbelief pill of what you're seeing. I really appreciated the locations that were shown here. Oh, right, right. And this is primarily taking place mostly in a foreign country. I mean, there's very little of this episode that really does take place, quote-unquote, in the States. Right. Or I should say, in North America. How about that? <laughs> sure. The weight of the characters presented. I love that, really, without exception... The characters that we've known now for two whole seasons are given a good solid shovelful of content inside of this episode. One of the things that I know we've lamented across a variety of different episodes is when any of the characters are not given their just due so that there can be three pillars or three legs of a table helping to support what's going on inside the storytelling inside of the, the grander vision of what's being presented inside the season. 
And I thought all of them had a good, solid representation inside this episode. Eh, except for maybe Mickey. I don't feel like Mickey really got anything to do in this episode, except for tell Ryan where they needed to go and what they needed to do. Mm. Uh, what about the other the other characters that we got here? We got... Jack had a lot to do <clears throat> until, of course, he was bombarded with stock footage and taken out. <laughs> Speedy recovery, Jack Marshak. Uh, hey, had, Vin- at least they had a ventilator in Sleepy Town, Frenchtown. Well, wait, wait, it's a hospital. It's not the Dark Ages. Just because it's a small town, what do you think they they should do? Ooh, go to the well and get us fetch us some water for us to boil. This is it's not early 1900s. It's still modern day France. It's a small town in France. Mm-hmm. Name some more characters you want me to weigh in on. Ryan's mom. Oh, the one that we thought was dead. Yeah, there's a lot of weight there. Johnny Ventura. Oh, because he brings so much to the proceedings. Mm. I I think the weight of the characters, I feel like had we done this episode as one giant episode instead of doing part one and part two, Mm -hmm. there might be some more weight. But really, where this episode is concerned, it really is focusing heavy on things to do with Ryan. Not of Ryan, but to do with Ryan. And Jack and Sister Adele. It's the side characters that are more interesting than our main characters where this is concerned. Astaroth, he's interesting. I want to know more about him. Sister Adele, she's interesting. I want to know more about her. R.I.P. You know, well, right, R.I.P., sorry. You know, no speedy recovery for her because she's dead. Saint Sister Adele, I don't know. Uh, And and I'm (laughs) sure that we're going to be developing more of the lame girl, Chris, who seems to have psychic abilities. Mm. What, didn't pick that up when she shook Ryan's <laughs> hand and then went into a seizure, seizure telling him not to go to France? I figured it was some holy thing going on rather than a superpower. Well, if you if you take away the religious aspect, what's the difference? Mm. You know, you say superpower... But if it's a religious-based belief that allows somebody to have premonitions, isn't that the same thing? Mm. Holy superpower? I think that's a good call to the audience. Yes, let's call to the audience and let's let's bring up religion. <laughs> let's talk religion with the audience. Audience, what do you think? Superpower that has nothing to do with the belief in God or divine powers? Head on over to our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com, fill out the web form, and let us know. Characters aplenty. Now, while Nick completely took the legs out from underneath my entire three-legged table argument, what I did like was that there was a ton of different characters here, all the way from the beginning of the episode down to the devil dog. So, not too shabby. Oh, yeah. Supporting characters galore, and all of them are very, at least, interesting and or entertaining. You know, you've got the the innkeeper who has a handful of lines, has got maybe 45 seconds of episode time, but he's memorable, uh, probably mostly because of the eyebrows. They, (laughs) They curl up. So you got to go, oh, well, of course, this is Eastern European kind of a feel. They've got weird eyebrows. I was instantly transported to, to Frenchy to Frenchtown. Small, to small town Frenchy Frenchtown? <laughs> yes, a sleepy one. 
the some of the the background nuns all look nunny. The uh, the crazy folk in the psych ward of the hospital. It's true. They're all ripped right out of a, a, a quiet riot video. <laughs> it was awesome. The only thing they needed was metal masks, and we're good to go. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, the we got the townsfolk. Some some of them who spoke English. Some of them they didn't. And I think most importantly, and again, this is just the first part of this two-part episode, but we get the blind beggar, who was by far the creepiest character introduced. Oh, and the two visiting ruffians that we don't know anything about yet. It's not even two. There were more than that. They, oh. there, there were just, there were more. They keep ah. showing up, like in between scenes. Mm. As we seen, as the scene progresses mm-hmm. in in the town, you'll notice two kind of Eastern European vagabonds walking around looking very punkish yeah and i have a feeling that uh these are the uh, minions of satan <laughs> of course are, they they're, are. and they're here to party lots of good stuff going on inside this episode we're wondering what you thought was good inside this first part of two parts let us know what you think by going over to our website again that's curiousgoodspodcast.com fill out the quick web form and tell us what you thought was good from this episode We all know that every episode of Friday the 13th, the series, has goods and bads. We've covered those goods. Now let's look at the not-so-goods. Shoehorning Johnny's importance to the group. Now, I'm not sure this is how the DVD presentation is going to be moving forward, but... I remember, especially since I saw the majority of this series in syndication, Mm -hmm. the beginning started with the nice little voiceover of recapping the premise of the show. Louis Vanderdee sold shit from the devil in his antique store, and he broke the pack and died, and his niece and nephew had to get all this shit back. It, that's how it was not exactly like that, <laughs> no, but that's it exactly how it was like presented. That. I thought I was actually listening to for, the actual For me, show. and I feel like that, that is something that was, <laughs> was very heavy in season three. Oh, yeah. So a, I appreciate that, and I, I kind of feel like had that been the beginning of every episode, more people probably would have discovered this show and stuck with it. Mm-hmm. You know, if if that would have happened and they they would have learned, oh, this is what the show's about, instead of Friday the 13th, the series, I don't, no, I I want nothing, no part of this. Yeah. But beside all that, (sighs) yes, we know that Johnny Ventura is about to be a very prominent character in this show. My issue is, is that in the grand scheme of things, this is his third appearance. Mm Mm-hmm. And the conversation that he has with Mickey makes it sound like he's part of the team, like he's best buds with Ryan. Well, yeah, you know, Jack's in France and Ryan, well, he's at the cemetery. Why is he at the cemetery? Well, it's the anniversary of his brother's death, duh. I mean, that's how she presents it. It's like, you should know this, Johnny. You've been around for a very long time. Uh, No, you haven't. You, you, You just haven't. So it's okay for you not to know that Ryan's brother died 14 years ago. As a matter of fact, I think it would have been a better opportunity had there been a little knowledge drop on Johnny of the, don't you remember? Instead of the, don't you remember? It's, oh, that's right, you don't know. Ryan's brother died 14 years ago in a car accident. Ryan blames himself. Cut to the cemetery. 
Now you've set up that whole scene where the flashback happens, and it doesn't make us long-standing fans who know that Johnny doesn't know shit about anybody except for he wants to get into Mickey's pants. Mm -hmm. Now it makes more sense that we would be telling him things about characters. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And I, I, what's really funny, too, is that most of what you're talking about is really just some cogent directing on scene mm. when, when they're capturing it. Where uh, writer... Small little rewrite. We're blessed with the fact that Tom McLaughlin actually is the writer and director for this, call it two-parter. I mm -hmm. think it was all shot as one chubby, giant episode. Chubby parter. Right, exactly. A chubby parter. Uh, and... Tom, usually, you know, his when he's writing, he gets it. And I have a feeling that this was more of a let's make feel like Johnny does belong instead of a let's remind viewers that Johnny doesn't belong, but he's about to take over a very prominent male leading role spot in this show. Mm. Wasted Mommy. And no, I'm not talking about she's had too much to drink. <laughs> yeah. Mommy hasn't been dipping into the wine. It's we introduce the concept of Ryan having a mother because up until now, and even Ryan's case, we all thought that she was dead. Yeah. And okay. it seems like no, she just she just left and just never came back. I all all I can think here, and especially as we finished asterisk. The episode, all I could think was there needed to be some more built pathos for Ryan because ding, 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 we all know he's going to be leaving the show. Right. And so we got to be sure to quickly introduce his mother, who is on screen for two and a half minutes. For this first part, well, maybe a little bit longer in the in the grand scheme of things, but... Not much. I, I feel like there should have been... Ryan was just, and I get he was dumbfounded at the fact, oh, crap, my, my mom, well, it turns out she is alive. But then there was no emotion. It was like, well, maybe we just need to go somewhere and talk. I feel like we should have had some sort of reaction. Like, all this time, I thought you were dead. I thought you, the, dad told me that you died. Yeah. You know, it there needed to be some sort of, like, shock and awe kind of a thing. I don't, I don't have any... And I mean, it's not like, well, you must also lose your mother early and she needs to disappear for decades for you, for you to, um, to intelligently talk. About. No, I, I, I don't need to. Well, not only that, but, if you're introducing Johnny Ventura mm -hmm. to be the guy who's running the shop while they're all gone, mm -hmm. if something like this were to happen, if my long lost mother showed up, I wouldn't be going to France no. because you already have this other guy who could handle things as well. So it would end up being Johnny and Mickey going to France to help Jack mm -hmm. while Ryan is still in the States dealing with this mother issue at the shop. And not getting possessed but by the But you devil. can't do that if you're <laughs> going to have him be the thrall of Satan right. and then write him out of the show at some point in time. Yeah. So the insertion of the mother, I get why the mother was brought in. And that'll become apparent at the end of the next episode. Yeah. For all of you who are in the know... Mike does not know how Ryan gets written out of the show. Correct. So I get why Ryan's mommy shows back up. The way that it is handled is not very smart. Ode to a smaller budget. Like we previously said, I'm pretty sure 
this episode was shot, you know, part one and part two, they were just shot as one chubby episode mm-hmm. and presented in a made-for-TV movie with commercials-type format wherever it was aired the first time. Because mm-hmm. when it was originally pushed out, it was pushed out on the same night. So you had a two-hour block for Friday the 13th, the series, The Prophecies. No part one, no part two. It was only chopped in half because syndication. Not every station was going to give Friday the 13th an, a two-hour block mm-hmm. to be able to show this. Right. Okay, I get it. But since you're shooting it all at once... Uh, that's a that's a lot of things you gotta you you gotta try to pull off, mm-hmm. and for the most part they do. I mean, mm-hmm. we've got a great oh, location, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know if they were all in the same area. You know, the sleepy town with the cool looking nunnery and the great looking church, and all of the cool old buildings that you could go into. Mm-hmm. How much was set and how much was actually there? Mm-hmm. But damn it, if it didn't look great, yeah. Except for when it didn't look great. Because we get, well, you know, when the beasts are supposed to inherit the earth and we're supposed to possess the beasts of the land to attack the light to bring forth Satan's return. Well, evidently we can only afford a beast. One beast. (laughs) I'm sure it was supposed to be something a little bit more ferocious than a dog. We call it a wolf in our retail. With an asterisk. Well, big old asterisk because that's a that's a dog. It, it's it, a, it, it was Simon's German Shepherd from from the the catering staff. Right. Looks smashing, breaking through the window. R- right. Right. So, <laughs> I guess. so so we could afford one stunt dog, or maybe it was two stunt dogs because usually that's that's what you have to do. One dog is able to do one. <laughs> no, no, that's that's actually how dog actors work. It's you have one that can do a specific task. Right. So you'd have one that could make its mark by jumping through. The glass, mm-hmm. but then you'd have another one that was an attack dog that could to snarl on command, snarl on command, and attack the the arm that is clearly wrapped in foam and then covered in the priest's you, black robes. You just you obviously haven't been able to recognize a priest's robes recently. They're very thick, right? And that priest that must be the arm that the priest uses to masturbate with because that was. Three times as bigger <laughs> than the other arm that he had. I was just but thinking that. that. How did you know that? But that's not important right now. What is important is <laughs> the fact is is that when the episode pulls off the production value, it pulls it off in spades. But when it doesn't, it's glaringly obvious. I mean, carving six 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 into Ryan's chest. Uh, the other thing I'm going to lump into here is the whole left-handed driving cars thing in France. Oh yes, let's I, do guys, that. Guys, I get it. The, the 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 sample is that I'm certain that if we search the sleepy towns of France, we're going to find at least one car that is left-hand drive. Maybe, possibly. <laughs> Maybe we will. Um, but, but again, that's budget thing. How are we going to we're right, going to quickly import? Because just left, so everybody knows, car? everybody knows, they didn't shoot this in France. <laughs> right. So, you know, you got to make do with what you got. Right. Which would be, oh, look, we have all of these older cars that would look like they would be in a small, sleepy, Frenchy French town in France. Yes. But But the the, 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 the steering wheels are on the left. That's not important right now either. Just shoot the damn thing. (laughs) Well, those are the things that we thought 
we're bad inside of this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. But we want to know what you thought could have used a little bit of polish. Head on over to our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the web form and let us know your thoughts. Ah, it's time to take a break here during the Curious Goods Podcast. Our review of Season 3, Episode 1. The Prophecies, Part 1. We'll be right back. Everyone knows you'll spend at least double the time you use to create the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor, the gotta get it right factor, and well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content and are ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Do it. Hi, this is Elise Wax, author of Curious Goods, behind the scenes of Friday the 13th, the series. And you're listening to Curious Goods Podcast. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Kids Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and always educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, we're focusing on the first episode of Season 3. The Prophecies, Part 1. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to crack open our manifest moments. The manifest moments are when Nick and I recognize either an actor's portrayal, something inside of the storytelling arcs, or something else that tripped our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? I think there. I, I could pick no other thing, object, scene, person for my manifest moment than Fritz Weaver, the actor playing Astaroth. Kudos, man. Wow. The only way that you pull off a kooky, crazy show like this is if you get talented actors to play your heavy. And damn it, if Fritz Weaver is not a talented actor to pull off your heavy, because wow. What a total score. Absolute score. And horror fans will recognize Fritz from his awesome performance in Creepshow, the original film, uh, the uh, the segment entitled The Crate. He actually played the first doctor who stumbles acro- upon the crate and witnesses its evil fiendishness. Yeah. 
And that is a very different character than what he is playing here in Friday the 13th, the series, which, again, shows the range of his, his acting ability. And he had a very, very long and lustrous career. Sadly, we lost him in 2016. So he hasn't been gone for very long, but he is still very missed. And that is my manifest moment. Yeah, and missed at age 90. You know, just what, yeah. a, what, what a life and career to cherish that we, we had a glancing blow here inside of this episode. And the next one, as I understand, correct? We're not done with Astaroth yet. We have, did we kill him? Did we get the book back yet, Mike? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. You were here. You retold it. I don't know. I've forgotten. Sorry. All right. So uh, my manifest moment inside this episode has got to be the blossom of curiosity. One of the things that I still find endearing, even inside this episode, that while we could call the Book of Lucifer an item, it's not one of the items. In fact, inside this episode... There is no item. They're not looking for something to be recovered. Jack is on a research mission that just happens to go sideways. Right, right. I mean, now they're looking for the Book of Lucifer. Right. But But, they weren't in the beginning. But what I appreciate and have always appreciated about each of the episodes is when the piece of curiosity is delivered to the audience. And that's what I got the instant that Jack arrives inside the sleepy... Strangely Canadian-looking, sleepy Frenchy French town, is that I'm I'm instantly curious. I want to know. I want more. And that's when you know a television show, regardless of where it goes, eventually has you. Is when you can be watching and you want to know more. There was never a time inside this episode where I'm like, eh, I don't really care. Doesn't matter to me. You're always wanting more because you are curious. And I think that this episode especially is the first of two parts. In fact, it's, it's the first of two parts. It makes so much so that I want to watch the second one. But I know we're going to be waiting just because of the time we've spent on this one so far today. But the, the value is that it instantly wants you to take in more. Right. And that's the magic elixir for any kind of storytelling, is that now that you're done with that part, I want some more. Well, kudos to the people that made the show, everybody from the production design folks to the actors to the people that wrote the story. I'm in. I'm all in. That's where we ask you guys, what stood out for you guys inside of this episode, making it your manifest moment? Let us know by going over to our website, that's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form. And tell us what your manifest moment was for this episode. Do it! Vocabulary. Ah, vocabulary. The words that make Mike Brain and Nick Brain go round inside of this show. The first word inside this episode is... Disciple. Ah, disciple. Thanks to our friends over at visualthesaurus.com, we have disciple as someone who believes and helps to spread the doctrine of another. Clearly something that we've got going on in many directions inside this episode, not just the good parts, but also the incredibly dark parts. Our second word inside of the vocabulary segment is... Canonize. Canonize, again, thanks to our friends over at visualthesaurus.com, is to declare a dead person to be a saint or to treat as a sacred person. Canonize. Great stuff. That's where we ask you guys what vocabulary struck you inside this episode. Let us know by going over to our website. Again, that's curiousgoodspodcast.com. 
fill out the quick web form and tell us what words propel your brain inside this episode. Episode rating. Ah, the rating. It's time to gauge what we thought of this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the scale, having one savage, wolfly, Frenchy, French wolf dog attack through a glass window. Boldly. Sure, yes, that sounds like a 10 to me. A 1 is on the other end of the scale, driving a left-hand drive car inside of sleepy, Frenchy, French town in France. Everything starts at 7 as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick? There are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? Considering that in its original release, this was all one giant episode, I'm very interested, once we finish part two, Mm -hmm. to see how well they complement each other. Mm -hmm. Because there is an ending to this first part. I mm-hmm. mean, if there wasn't, we wouldn't have been able to pick where to end this. It would have been, oh, do it there. Uh, th- there was a flow to this episode, and it seemed like, oh, the flow stops here and then starts up again. Mm-hmm. So where this first half is concerned, I definitely have to give this a nine because it's good, and I feel like the things that we were nitpicking about were were petty things. Were, were Literally, they were actually things that we had to actually think about and go like, huh, what can we complain about? Oh, let's complain yeah, about how do we, this. How, how do we compile three things to bitch about right. for this episode? Yes, right. I agree. So I would, I, I would take those three things and roll them up into a ball, and that ball would take my rating from a 10, which would be a perfect episode, to a 9, because it's not perfect, but it's damn close. This is a really good episode. The pace is there. The mood is set. The problem with it is, is that in a review setting like we have here, you have to be aware of the things that go hiccup. Not bump in the night, but hiccup in the night. The whole, All that stuff with mom's, with Ryan's mom. That is a hiccup. It is a hiccup. I get what it's going to serve by the end of part two, but in this first half... It just makes you scratch your head and go, that's how we're going to handle this? So even though I would love to give this a 10, nope, it's a 9. Interesting. So it smells like it smells like pathos burger is why we have mom inside of this whole thing? Yes. All right, because that doesn't help my score at all. Well, yes, asterisk. Yes, asteroth. I agree with everything that you've said inside of this, i.e. strong presentation, strong story. Again, the the picture frame that they're presenting here is beyond reproach. Mm-hmm. You look at every scene, regardless of how pit woofy the, the neighbor's <laughs> dog was, even that, you know, it, it was appropriate. There was nothing inside this episode that I didn't think was inappropriate. Was it your standard episode? No, it's a little bit above a standard episode because, you know... All of the chips are in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. get any more all chips in than this episode. Uh, can I give it a nine? I can't give it a nine. But I will give it an eight. 
That's where we ask you guys, what would you rate this episode, the launch of Season 3? The Prophecies, Part 1. Let us know what you think by going to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you ranked this episode. Ah, another episode of the Curious Goods Podcast in the can. Until next time, I'm Mike. Silence, Wilkerson. What's this? I have had it with your inane chattering. Inane chatter? Yes. Really? Okay. I have become irascible. I will take over this podcast Mm. with using my Dark Lord's powers. Oh, my. That's right. You didn't think I walked into the studio today wearing this dark robe for nothing. That's a nice robe, dude. Well, thank you. Sure. The wife made it. Oh. I'll let her know that you uh, that, that yeah, she no, thought it was good. No problem. Kudos. But this book. No. This Tome of Lucifer. It looks incredibly threatening. I will use this book to put you under the thrall of Almighty Lucifer. Oh my. Giving me control of this podcast. Good grief. The perfect spell. To make the frosting, put the chocolate in a large, heat-proof bowl in a small saucepan. Bring the cream to a boil. Pour the cream over the chocolate. Move the bowl gently to the... Son of a bitch, this is my wife's cookbook. That sounds pretty good. Why don't you make that quick? Well... Well, it takes four hours to make a devil's food cake, man. Four hours? That's nothing. I need devil's food cake. Oh, please smite me, Lord of Devil's Food. Had we started baking the devil's food cake before we we started started this, it would be done by now. Woohoo! Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. How do you want to go out? Cursed by the devil or touched by an angel? Touched by an angel? That was another good one. I don't know if you saw any of that. I No. That was accidental. I think I was working a job that made it. That was on television when I was home having a meal. And that was a piece of regular watching. Yeah, well, I already grew up watching Highway to Heaven. I didn't need to see the female version of that. Mm. Ah, vocabulary! It would be great if we had some, but Mike <laughs> didn't look up any words. I didn't. Uh, Maybe uh, scroll up a little bit so I can see the rest of the show notes, since you didn't send them to me. Okay, scroll down. Why don't you scroll in the proper direction? Why don't you scroll my ass? Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Why don't you scroll in the appropriate direction? Okay. Can I finish? <laughs> yes, you may. <laughs> you certainly may. <laughs>